Welcome to the Sound Nose Podcast. I'm Barry Collins. In the first episode of this two-part podcast, I spoke to Walter Johnson about how Measuring Broadband America got up and running. In this second episode, I'm going to be talking with Sam Nose Director of Government Programmes, Roxanne Robinson, about how the programme has changed over the years and what's coming in the future. We started by drilling down into some of the detail of Measuring Broadband America. In particular, why the measurement period for American ISPs is only two months per year. The first year we had two months of that year. So we did, I think one it was in March and then another in September. And then after that, it moved to September and October. Um, And the reason we do two months, we only actually take one month's worth of data, but we have two months uh, where it's running across just obviously to make sure in case anything happens or Mm -hmm. or there's something particular that goes on, we have to cut some data out. We've got that kind of buffer period. But there are a couple of reasons that we decided to run the project that way. and it kind of relates to, to what you just asked in terms of ISPs being able to make improvements. Um, but the first reason was it means we've got a consistent measurement period year on year. Um, so obviously that just makes it much easier to do any kind of direct comparisons that we want to do. Um, and it means we've got this amazing longitudinal data set um, and analysis that, that tracks broadband year on year um, and see how it improves over time. Um, but the second reason is because Restricting it to those two months of the year does allow ISPs the opportunity to make changes and improvements to their network before the next measurement period rolls around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, we have monthly meetings with the ISPs um, every month. And uh, I know that they they take their participation in the project really seriously. And it really matters to people how they do in the report. Um, you know, a lot of the time people use the results in the MBA report for advertising, for example. Um, and it is something that's really looked upon um, by people in industry, by consumers. So people want to do well in it. And because we've got that relatively long period between each reporting um, period, ISPs are able to kind of look at the results and say, okay, well, actually, we can see that we've got an issue here, or there's, you know, this particular this particular tier is not doing very well. And it gives them the chance to kind of investigate what the issues are. Um, and then actually make changes and allow them to come into effect before we get to the next um, the next reporting month. Because obviously with these programs, you know, the overall goal or one of the overall goals is to improve the internet for people yeah. in that country. Um, and, you know, you don't want ISPs to be cherry picking. So you don't want you know, one or two people to be getting better performance. But if they're making changes across their whole network, um, that's going to be improving things for everybody. So, yeah, we absolutely see that um, in the data um, and it's a really great benefit of the the project itself. But I mean, one of the other reasons that's quite nice for having this sort of uh, two month period in the year is that we're we're obviously running tests and collecting data twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year, um, and we're in an enormous amount of homes in the US. But we've got this active panel that then is not really being used for this official reporting period for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. So it means that we can use it for other things. So, um, you know, we've got this research project called um, Mars that the FCC set up and it basically manages special programs and allows other people to use the platform um, in the in those dormant months um, and actually gather data for things like research or academic studies, um, which is which is also quite a nice benefit, really. So tell us about some of those projects. What are the uh, sort of unseen benefits of the program? So yeah, like like I just said, we because we've got this project and we're, and we're in all these homes in America, it's actually quite a unique situation. 
The FCC have always been very keen for the data to be used as much as possible. Um, I think one of the really great things about the project is that all of the data that we collect is made public. And that's actually quite unusual um, for regulators to do. But the FCC was super keen to, to make sure that all data was released, not just data that we collect for the reporting period. Um, and I think that has allowed academics and researchers to kind of get an understanding of what the project's about. Um, but also, you know, you've got people who are who are looking to run different tests on on the internet, but it's quite hard if you're at a university to to have access or set up your own panel. There's obviously quite a lot of cost that goes along with that. So there's this this sort of resource for them. And the FCC had discussions initially with, I think, people from Princeton, the University of Chicago, um, University of Santa Cruz. All of these academics were actually involved in the collaborative discussions from the very beginning, um, you know, really giving insight into how they saw internet measurement progressing, things that mm -hmm. they were interested in. And um, we allowed people to submit hypotheses and the FCC then review them. And if it's something that we're interested in looking at, uh, we'll basically then set up a special project with those academics to say, okay, we really love the idea of what you're trying to look at. These are the people that we have available. Um, we'll allocate a time period for them to run the results. And obviously on the premise that the results and data that we collect is then again made public um, so that other academics can obviously learn from the experiments that are being conducted on the program as well. Um, so it's quite it's quite a nice um, it's quite a nice project to be involved with because obviously there's some really interesting things that come up and often the things that academics are looking at will then be things that we see being raised sort of later down the line as well. So I think the first Mars study we did was called Where's the Fault? And it was mm -hmm. looking at in-home Wi-Fi performance, which obviously as things have evolved and we've got faster speeds, we know that in-home Wi-Fi is something that um, you know, ISPs are really struggling to educate consumers on, for example, about what Wi-Fi is and how it impacts their speed and, and what they're responsible for and what they're not. Um, but it's interesting that that was something that you know we were looking at. Gosh, I can't actually remember where the, where's the fault was. I think it might have been 2013 or 2014. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just interesting to see how that's kind of mirrored throughout the different stages when it's something the consumers start becoming aware of, but something the academics are already looking at a couple of years before. And as you said, this project now has been going for pretty much a decade. How has it changed over that time? What are you testing now that you weren't testing 10 years ago? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It's, it's changed in a couple of ways. Um, I mean, I think one of the main additions to the program that did happen quite early on was this um, focus on mobile broadband measurement. So the program started looking just at fixed, um, and that was the main interest. And it was very much speed-based at that time. So um, you know, the ISPs still do, but they advertise uh, essentially based on speed. So the FIX program was very much looking at, uh, you know, what percent of advertised speed do ISPs provide to customers? But the FIX program had been so successful. I think there was a, a real um, keenness to go into mobile broadband as well and start measuring that. So we actually released two mobile apps as part of the program um, in late 2013 and early 2014. Um, and we've been adding features year on year. And that's actually been a really interesting kind of expansion into the mobile side, just so, you know, MBA is covering not just fixed, but kind of the whole internet landscape, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's also been the academic study. So that wasn't something that was initially considered. And I think as people got more used to the program and saw the the sort of extent of the panel that we had set up um, and the types of tests that we could run and the fact that we were very open to working with people to run tests on the white box ourselves, um, we were able to kind of open it up to academic studies and do some more investigation. 
And I think lastly, there's very much been this movement beyond speed. So as I said, at the very beginning, the program was looking at speed and that was kind of its main focus. But that was 10 years ago and speeds have obviously increased since then. You know, we're looking at people who are selling plus one gig speeds now, which is is just crazy. Um, but it's really changed how people use their internet connection. You know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have dreamed of streaming TV over your internet connection. It would just have just been madness. But it's now incredibly popular. I remember there was a stat in 2017, I think it was, or something that streaming accounted for about like 60% of all traffic on the internet or something crazy like mm-hmm. that. And obviously what we've seen with COVID is that, you know, people are using their residential connections so differently these days. It's not just about downloading a file or uploading a file. It's it's all about, can I work? Can I use video conferencing services? Can I access healthcare, education, um, you know, connect with friends and family? And there's much more weight on what your residential connection can now provide you. And I think there's a real call for measurement data that looks at these services that people are actually using. You know, people want to have information on, well, how well does Netflix perform on my on my connection? Or can I use Teams um, mm-hmm. because I need to be able to work, for example? And I think it's that idea of this um, digital connectivity or internet, we call it internet quality connectivity, because you know, if you're living in a rural area in the US and you don't have very good internet service, then you're really going to suffer if you can't access these kinds of services. So I think there's there's a real movement to trying to use the panel to not just collect this QoS um, information, but also looking at this quality of experience. And, you know, we're, we're really well placed to be able to do that. We have the panel already set up. We've got all the tests. Um, so I think it's just a case of, of trying to look now at these other services that are available um, and kind of move beyond speed. Uh, just to kind of make sure we're in line with what people are actually using their connection for. And I know everyone's sick to death of talking about the pandemic, but during <laughs> that, you were you were able to measure the the speed of those real world applications uh, to to see what impact the the move to working from home had, weren't you? Yeah, exactly. So we um, we had something called the critical service tracker uh, that we did not in not just in the US, but also I think we did in um, Australia and in the UK as well. And yeah, exactly. As you said, that was looking at these key applications um, to see how they fared in the pandemic. And, you know, there were some interesting results. I think by and large, most ISPs really stood up to the challenge. And it was very impressive to see you know, I remember looking at um, server graphs from when we were uh, looking at the the load on all of our servers for these projects, and the amount of traffic that was just going through them was absolutely unbelievable. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, suddenly everyone in the world is working from home. It was just crazy. But actually, the ISPs, um, their services stood up really well. People were able to, to, for the most part, access what they needed to. But those critical services trackers were really helpful because it really did show. Um, you know, what people were having problems with, where they might be having issues. And I helped the regulators really assess, okay, who do we need to talk to, if anybody? What do we need to do to kind of future-proof ourselves if something like this happens again? And obviously, you know, as you said, the pandemic, I remember when it also first happened, I thought by this point it would be over, but it's really brought about this change in how people work. And I don't think working from home is is necessarily going to go away. So I think there is going to be this added pressure on ISPs to be able to provide a service now that can handle much more. Um, And it's really given the regulators the information to be able to assess what might be needed and then start to talk about that, um, you know, either between themselves or to the the industry as well, just to to make sure they're ready if if it does happen again. And just finally, can you give us any insight into what's coming next for the uh, Measuring Broadband America program? 
Um, yeah, so I think, as I said, we're, we're kind of keen to get more um, of the beyond speed tests out there. So I think that's probably one of the next things that we're looking to looking to move forward on um, and also kind of expand with the mobile app as well. So that's been a part of the project that we, you know, we released data for that as well. As I said, all of our data is released. Um, but I think we're keen to kind of expand how that data is used. So see if there's anything else that we're able to, to do with that in terms of reporting. Um, and I think also we've got this annual report that comes out, which is great. It's very much a benchmarking report that that we're able to put out. And it looks, as I said earlier, longitudinally at the data that we have and can track improvements over time. But it would be really great. We've got all of this data that's available to be able to do more ad hoc reporting. Um, so put out smaller reports that maybe focus on particular points of interest. Um, you know, maybe it's video streaming, maybe it's video conferencing, maybe it's where is the content hosted and, and how does that impact people? Um, just to provide kind of more consumer friendly information as we move forward uh, that helps people understand, OK, well, what, what pro- products do I need? What kind of Internet um, plan is the right one for me? And how do these things actually impact me um, in my everyday life? That's it for this two-part podcast. If you missed the first part, make sure to check it out on the Sam Knows podcast feed. And also look out for the Sam Knows Spotlight magazine that accompanies this podcast on samknows.com. Until next time, goodbye.